You're listening to a Fit Plus Love production. I was only going to do one marathon. That was just my my goal, knock it off bucket list. But uh, I was a little discouraged and I thought I could do better. That was Tony Philippi. This is Marnie Salop. Thanks for tuning into my podcast, Marnie on the Move. Each week, I will be inviting interesting, innovative movers and shakers to join me on the show and share their story. You will discover and hear from thought leaders, experts, influencers, and entrepreneurs from the worlds of wellness, sports, beauty, fitness, fashion, and more. Marnie on the Move will feature an eclectic mix of people I know, work with, and think are generally doing cool things. On each episode, I sync up with my guests about life, career, and training, and showcase their expertise and story. Hello, Marnie on the Move listeners. Thanks for tuning in. I'm your host, Marnie Salop. This is the last episode of 2019, also part of my athletic focus series, Long Slow Distance, where I do a deep dive into endurance sports, training, racing, and nutrition with top athletes, coaches, founders, and industry experts. The series is fueled by several of my favorite brands, Mad Ritual, On, Roca, Noon Hydration, Salt Stick, and Navitas Organics. I have lots of great deals I'll be sharing, so stay tuned. Okay, I'm really excited to introduce you to today's guest, Tony Philippi. Tony is a 292-time marathoner and a nine-time Ironman finisher. He is the co-founder of the world-renowned, very popular running clubs, Marathon Maniacs, Half Fanatics, and Ultra Madness with over 33,000 insane asylum members to date. He is also the co-founder of the Tacoma City Marathon Association, which he started with one marathon and today has grown to eight annual running events. I'm hoping that today's episode will inspire you and up your fitness game for 2020. It certainly has for me. While I only have two marathons planned for 2020, I'm sure I can throw in a few more. And once you listen to the episode, you'll understand what I'm talking about. On today's episode, Tony and I sync up about running and entrepreneurship, where his passion for running began, the inspiration behind his world-popular running clubs. We do a deep dive into marathoning, racing, training, strategy, nutrition, and his favorite courses, the races on his bucket list. He shares some tips and advice on marathoning and more. I hope you enjoy today's episode. If you like what you hear, don't forget, leave us a review on Apple. It's easy. Go to the app on your phone, scroll through the list of Learning on the Move podcasts, click on write a review, click on five stars, and tell us what you love. Before we get started, I wanted to share a few words about our fueling partners. As I mentioned, Long Slow Distance is fueled by a few of my favorite brands, the ones that I use every day for training, racing, and life. I wanted to quickly share why these brands fuel me for success and some of the great deals they're offering to Marnie on the Move long, slow distance listeners. Here we go. Mad Ritual has changed my recovery game in a big way. Get ready to recover like a rebel with these awesome, high-quality CBD-infused products. Their CBD balm, is off the charts amazing. And I'm not the only one that thinks so. 
Mad Ritual has 100 plus five-star reviews. The bombs have five simple organic ingredients, coconut oil, shea butter, olive oil, plant wax, CBD, and different blends of essential oils. Personally, I prefer the eucalyptus and peppermint. They also offer a terrific CBD-infused total recovery supplement. Not just for athletes, the products are formulated to ease all of the aches and pains that come along with being an active human. So if you're sore from life, Mad Ritual gets it. Founded by women, athletes, and active entrepreneurs, they are committed to helping active folks bring more balance to their lives. Mad Ritual is offering Marnie on the Move listeners 15% off. Head over to their website, madritual.com, use the code Marnie on the Move, and start shopping. Speaking of active, on running shoes offer runners the perfect mix of design and function. Running in on shoes is a game-changing experience thanks to their proprietary cloud tech technology. You really do feel like you're running on clouds, whatever your shoe preference is. I have several pairs as I am logging lots of miles for the TCS New York City Marathon and switch out my sneakers often depending on the distance and the terrain. Side note, I do have a few pairs that I use for fashion and every day. If you want to learn more about On, you can go to their website, onrunning.com, or you can download the episode of Marnie on the Move with co-founder David Alleman. Now, if you're a triathlete, you probably have heard of Roka. I've been wearing Roka wetsuits for triathlon for the past five years, and they've been terrific for my swimming, speed, and comfortability. When I learned they were expanding beyond wetsuits and goggles and introducing eyewear, I immediately got a pair of the sunglasses, which I have been wearing for the past several months. No matter how hard I try, I can't shake them off my head, which is great since I'm always on the move. All Roka products are high-tech, performance-focused, with functional design. Behind the brand are founders and athletes designing products for athletes like themselves. Learn more on the podcast, Marnie on the Move, with Roka co-founder Kurt Spencer, or shop their website, roka.com, and get 20% off with our code Marnie, M-A-R-N-I. Now, if you're an endurance athlete, you know how important it is to replace electrolytes and salt as you sweat for hours on end. Salt stick caps have been my go-to for training and racing for years. They reduce heat stress, muscle cramping, and maintain electrolyte levels. Salt Stick also offers the only electrolyte capsules, liquid add-ins, and chewable tablets that were formulated to closely resemble the electrolyte profile lost during activity, which is sodium, potassium, calcium, and magnesium. Use the code MARNIE20 for a 20% discount at checkout when you visit shopsaltstick.com. Please note, this is only available to people with a U.S. mailing address and expires on December 31st, 2019. My other go-to fueling and hydration resource is Noon Hydration. I simply add their hydrating electrolyte tablets into my water and I'm good to go. It tastes great. There are lots of amazing flavors. I'm currently obsessed with their watermelon sport hydration and the blackberry vanilla rest. Noon began as the first company to separate electrolyte replacement from carbohydrates. The result, a healthy hydrating beverage without all of the extra sugar and additives. Noon Hydration is hydrating the planet, one runner, surfer, cyclist, yogi, hula hooper at a time, and the list goes on. They have taken the brand beyond sports and endurance with immunity and vitamin tablets. They use clean ingredients and suppliers backed by 
third-party certifications and are non-GMO, gluten-free, and vegan. I highly recommend you add their tablets to your water as you race and train whatever endurance sport you're doing. Lastly, but most importantly, for recovery and for fueling is Navitas Organics. I am obsessed with their plant-based superfood ingredients and have been adding them to my smoothies for nearly a decade. From their all-in-one organic essential superfood blends with protein, greens, probiotics, and enzymes for post-workout or even just for breakfast. I also use their maca for adaptogens, camo camo for extra vitamin C, and cacao. They also have an incredible line of CBD-infused wellness shots, restore, calm, focus, and bliss, and delicious superfood lattes. Head over to their website and stock up Navitas Organics is offering 25% off for your first purchase with the code MOVE25 upon checkout. Head over to their website, NavitasOrganics.com. Thanks for listening. I hope you have a chance to sample and try some of these great products. Now on to the series. 292 marathons. Let's start here. Where did running and marathoning begin for you? Well, running uh, began for me. I ran in school. I ran track and soccer and all that. And then uh, in my 20s, I took some time off, played some soccer. But my late 20s, I started picking up running again just for fitness and took on a life of its own. You challenge yourself. You know, you run a mile <laughs> and uh, and then you run two miles and three miles. Next thing you know, you're signing up for a 5K. But yeah, that's that's how I kind of got started. So in my late 20s, I picked running up and I've been doing it ever since. I'm 50. I just turned 58. Uh, so I've been at it a while. And so when did you get into marathoning? Well, a buddy of mine that I ran with, he he was like my idol before I started marathoning because he had run several marathons and I didn't know anybody who'd run a marathon. So that was intriguing. I, I was running a lot of 5Ks and 10Ks, and uh, I started doing some halves. But uh, I did my first marathon when I was 38 years old, um, the Portland Marathon. I wanted to pick something big. Some people don't. They pick out a, a, a small little marathon, and that's that's great, too. Some of my favorite races are smaller events. But um, I picked the Portland Marathon, and it was an eye-opener. It I didn't do all my homework like I should have, but I, I thought I could knock off a marathon. Okay. But, uh, it didn't go as planned. <laughs> <laughs> I feel like that that's... happens to a lot of people. The yeah. First marathon. first marathon does not go. I mean, I had that experience. My first marathon did not go as planned. You, the first marathon you did was the Portland marathon. How many people are usually doing that race? Do um, you know? back then, I think it was 1998. I think they were getting 10 to 12,000 back then. So yeah, I had a lot of support on the course, and uh, and I actually ran most of the race with a friend of mine who we trained a lot together. Uh, she was younger than I was, and uh, she she actually did pretty well her first race. She broke four hours, wow. and I think I was four hours and. 23 minutes, I believe. So what did you do wrong and what did you do right? Like, do you remember? I didn't do all my long runs. I should have. I had speed. I was pretty, pretty fast five and 10 K guy, but, um, I didn't have the endurance, uh, that I needed. So, you know, I, I think I'd run a, a one forty half going okay. into the marathon, which is, it's, 
which is okay. Yeah. But you typically, the rule of thumb is you double your half marathon time and add, I think it's 20 minutes. Yeah. So that would have put me 330, 350 or something like that. But uh, yeah, the formula didn't work out for me. <laughs> it definitely, yeah. Yeah. Well, so I definitely, you know, I thought I could do better after after Portland. I was only going to do one marathon. That was just my my goal, knock it off bucket list. But uh, I was a little discouraged and I thought I could do better. Well, I knew I could do better. So I actually just trained through the winter and I signed up uh, for another marathon in May and uh, knocked about a half hour off my time. And it just kept going. And you just kept going. I feel like that's my my sort of plan. Like I did the TCS New York City Marathon mm. and I did not do the time I thought I would do for many reasons. Like I was, I got sick at mile 13 and it was, I had to slow down by two minutes a mile to finish. It was either like don't finish and or finish and just do a finish the race. So, but everything else was good. Like my training was good. I mean, I was yep. very frustrated and I definitely left the race feeling like, oh my God, I could have done so much better I definitely need to sign up for another one <laughs> and I guess that's how it starts right it is yep I mean I I did terrible in my first race but I was so proud that I actually hung in there and finished I mean I bonked hard at mile 18 and and it was a run walk it was everything I could do to run walk to finish the race and and I was I was proud of myself for finishing but knowing that I could train better and and do better in my next marathon and I actually nobody knew it at work um, but uh, I wore my medal under my shirt for about a week <laughs> I was I was proud that's so cool but well, I didn't in, show it yeah well in happy. New York people were walking around the streets wearing the medal all week and they're still wearing them are they really yes yeah, yeah that's awesome so what was yep. the next marathon that you did and was it a smaller race or yeah it was a smaller one well, portland was in october and so i trained through the winter and uh which i i wasn't doing a whole lot of training through the winter back then i cut my mileage down but um just gearing up right and and running having the right gear to run through the winter is is a big plus but i ran I ran my second marathon in May uh, the following year, and um, I did, oh, probably, it was a long time ago, but I'm sure I ran two or three, at least 20 milers mm-hmm. in preparation, where my first marathon, uh, I think I my longest run was an 18 miler. So that definitely, definitely paid off, but I still had a lot to learn about uh, nutrition and and training and pacing every marathon i run i actually still will take a little bit of something i've learned and maybe use it the next race if something happens or you know so i take a little bit away from every every race i do whether i can remember it or not it will jog my memory oh yeah i remember this happened and i did this you know well so Um, you've done 291 marathons so was it like mm-hmm. you, it was the first one, the second one, and then like, was there a jump where you did like five in a year or I know you did more than that in a year, right? Yeah. 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 I did. Uh, I did. Oh, well that following year, I think I did uh capital city in May. And then I probably, I think I did Seattle in November 
but I, the, the next year after that, it was the next year I did four, four marathons in a year. And my friends all thought I was crazy for doing that. Mm -hmm. But, uh, but I, but I, you know, it seemed, it seemed fine to me. I wasn't suffering any injuries or anything like that, but that's when I, that's when I kind of made the jump when I started doing more marathons and started knocking off more time off my, off my races. And, uh, I think it was my ninth, ninth marathon. I qualified for Boston, uh, for the first time. And, um, and then, and then I did still, I was still taking time off my, off my marathon, but, uh, it took me about eight or nine tries to kind of get, get dialed in to where I thought I could actually qualify for Boston. Right. Yeah. <clears throat> Do you feel like but, that's, uh, that's like normal for someone like to try to, like you really need to kind of master some of the basics before you can work on your speed? Yeah. I think for the novice runners, you know, obviously the, the collegiate guys that were really great in, in cross country and are seasoned racers, you know, or gifted, um, yes. Uh, they can go out and qualify easily their first time out. But even even those guys come across the line with which I kind of chuckle, bloody nipples and, and things like that. You yeah, know, they, yeah. They, didn't, they, didn't, they don't know how to prepare themselves. They got the gift of speed. But um, some of the things, you know, they do, they don't know because they, they haven't ran that distance yeah. enough times to figure that stuff out. And even like, do you feel like you figured it all out now? You said, you know, you learn something new from every race that you do, but I mean, do you feel like you have it down at pretty this point? Much. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Pretty much. I just, I know what to do, what I need to do, what I need to wear for certain types of weather. Do you have um, a log that you keep like a list of all these things? No, nope. It's just in my head. I check the weather before I before I head out, and of course, I I bring if I'm traveling away, I'll bring. If it's Boston, it could be ninety degrees. It could be thirty degrees. So how I many pack times? Yeah, it could be. You're right for Boston. It, yeah, yeah, and New York too. I guess the weather fluctuates quite a bit over there on the East Coast. But uh, yeah, before I yeah. did the race, I looked at the weather for the last like ten years. I Did still you? wasn't prepared. I overdressed. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> you know? yeah. yeah. Yep. It happens. Yeah, it happens. What are some of your favorite races that you've done and why? Well, I like the smaller events. It seems like I've I run a race better in smaller events for some reason, even though it turns into like just a time trial for myself because there's not a lot of people out there and you're running by yourself a lot. But um, I'm running against the clock a lot just my own watch. And so it doesn't matter to me if, if there's a lot of people there with me or they're, or they're not. Um, but I generally do better in smaller events and I like Newport marathon down in Oregon. It's really, uh, it's got a few rollers in it at the start, but then it's, it's an out and back along the river. It's, it's, it's on the, on the ocean, but you go inland and it's just a super fast nice smooth pavement and uh and i love i love that course it it used to sell out i don't know if it does anymore mm -hmm. but um and then there's then there's the hard ones too i mean i've done pike's peak that was a beautiful race obviously you're not going to pr in something like that but um uh Kauai was beautiful you've done the Kauai Super. marathon yep yep several times um 
beautiful, beautiful race. Hilly as all get out and hotter than heck. Yes. <laughs> and, <laughs> yeah. And I, I don't do well in heat, but I love Kauai and, and the course is, is beautiful winding up through the hills and the neighbors come out and cheer you on and you got the big chicken and the little chicken, I believe uh-huh. is their thing. So you can take a right and do the big chicken. That's where the marathon goes off into the hills or you do the little chicken and head to the finish line. <laughs> <laughs> That's so there's funny. chickens all over the place in Kauai. <laughs> That's so funny. I interviewed Tyler McCandless. He's a top American distance runner and he has done that race like nine times and he founded their youth program. So I actually just learned about that race and it's a, it sounds really awesome. Oh yeah. Yeah. Cool. Yeah. It's a, it's a must do. Bart Yasso usually comes out and really uh, and, and runs and MCs it or something. Oh yeah. Wow. Yep. The legend. He's a great guy. So yeah. He's such a nice guy. Yeah. That's cool. <laughs> yep. And what are the uh, races? Let's see. Yeah. Well, the local ones here, Seattle Marathon, it's hilly. That was my first sub three marathon, actually. Wow. Um, yeah, I didn't want to pick a, a downhill flat or anything like that race. So I just picked my local local race, which is pretty challenging. And that was my first sub three. So I was I was proud to do that on a on a tougher course than everybody's doing the downhill races which is fine and but i'm not a fan of running downhill and i actually haven't ran any of those have you done all the u.s and global majors no i haven't i've done i've done the united states majors you have chicago new york boston but yeah i've yet to go overseas tokyo's on my bucket list and berlin london uh but yeah Someday, maybe. Yeah. You do the same races over so that you could PR at each like race because every course is so different. Your marathon PR is your marathon PR, but really it's like the PR on the course doing it over and over again. Yeah. I mean, I do I do repeat a lot for sure, but I, I do try to add in some new races. Yeah. So now how many are you averaging a year? I guess five to 10 marathons a year now. I've slowed down a bit. Yeah, what <laughs> is the most much. that you've done in like one year? Uh, one year I did 42 marathons. And ironically, that's the year I PR'd in my marathon. Um, I ran a 253. And it was probably my 30-something marathon of the year at the time. Yeah, everything just came together. I did a two-week taper, which I hadn't been tapering much at all, but I did kind of gear up for this race and tapered for it. And uh, I think I did a sprint triathlon the weekend before. I was going to say, you also have done like a lot of 70.3 triathlons. Were you doing these things simultaneously or was it before and then you switched to marathon? Uh, No, I was doing them at the same time. Yeah, I was doing sprints. a lot of sprints. I've only done one 70.3, but I've done nine full Ironman. Oh, okay. And whole, yeah, and a whole bunch of sprints, but I'd done a bunch of sprints before I took off and did a, did a full Ironman. I went straight from a sprint to a full Ironman, but I had done a lot of marathons, so I was kind of a, a seasoned distance person, so it wasn't too daunting. You had the endurance in you, like you could be out there for hours, like unfazed and keep going. Yeah. Yeah. I'd done some 50 milers and things before I'd 
you know, jumped into Ironman. So, so being out there for eight to 10 hours, uh, doing an activity is, was, was already in my wheelhouse. So it wasn't too daunting, but don't get me wrong. It, it was a little scary. My first Ironman, <laughs> it is a ch- chunk of mileage to knock off. <laughs> yeah. I mean, it's definitely, you're definitely out there for a long time and it's a lot of miles for sure. And you do 70.3s, right? I do 70.3s. Yeah. And I'd like to do an Ironman at some point. You got Lake Placid right there. I know. But I think I would do something maybe a little warmer. I'm going to pick a race in a warmer climate. Well, Lake Placid is a cold, can be cold for sure. But I mean, most Ironmans are, shoot, they're pretty cold. They no, they seem to be, well, everyone I've done has been hot. Yeah. <laughs> but uh, Penticton and Coeur d'Alene and Whistler are the only ones I've done. But Whistler actually was was cold. Um, and that was that was hard. That was the hardest bike I've ever done because it, it was so cold that going down, you know, lots of climbs. But every time you would go down, you'd be shivering so bad that I was afraid that I was going to crash because I couldn't keep my steering straight because I was shivering so bad. Really? Wow. Yeah. You typically try to, you know, fuel up and it was just your hands were, were so cold. And then I had a blowout uh, and I had to fix my flat with my hands frozen. Um, so that took me twice as long to fix my flat, but, uh, but the run was great. <laughs> it's like 70 degrees. <laughs> Cause you were like, yay, the bike is over. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Yeah. It was a, it was a, it was a strange day. Yeah. But, well, so that, that happens, right? Like you have good days and bad days. I mean, and I'm sure you've had good races and bad races. Oh yeah. Even, yeah. To this day. I mean, that's what the draw is for me is finding that sweet, race where where you're feeling good you know after mile 15 18 and and you're pushing the pace and you're picking off runners you know i mean i don't care if i'm i'm first or last but if you are passing people it's an energy you know it you you fuel off of that because you're you just i don't know how to explain it but it it just it's fuel for your for your soul when you're yeah, passing people. it's mental it it's totally good. mental yeah. yeah yeah i wish everybody the best in a race and and i but i've been passed many many times and and it gets to you when you're getting passed by people and and but when things are going right there's nothing else like it in a marathon it just it's a fantastic feeling that's what i keep going back for so you're running all these marathons sprints and ironman triathlons doing what you love. When did it turn into a career for you? Well, it kind of took on a life of its own. We were, we started Marathon Maniacs in 2003. Me and a couple buddies, uh, Chris Warren and Steve Yee, we we were racing against each other all the time and uh, we were real competitive with each other. And, uh, but we became good friends and we started uh, traveling to races together um, marathons and well, we had always do doing the local stuff, five K's and 10 K's, but, uh, we started doing some road trips together and, uh, we were always trying to outrun each other and run more than the other person. So we were very competitive with each other. So we started running more marathons. It's like, ah, Steve ran five marathons and he just ran two and 
three weeks. So Chris and I would go out and find some marathons to run, whether we were running them traveling together or not. Uh, so I think we ran nine marathons that year and I don't remember who beat each other. We always were, <laughs> we were always going back and forth, but, uh, <laughs> but we, we were in a, we were in another club called the dead runner society. And we did a meetup at Coeur d'Alene marathon with the dead runners and Steve, Chris and I were in the dead runners as well, but, uh, we would meet up, you know, at, after the race and just, cause it was a, it was an online club. We'd chat through a listserv on by email, but, uh, so we, we met up at uh, the Moontime Tavern after the Coeur d'Alene marathon and, um, we're just chatting about the race and what races we're going to do. And Steve knew, marathon guides race calendar by the back of his hand and uh, a friend of ours said you guys are a bunch of marathon maniacs <laughs> and uh and so the dead runners started calling us maniacs you know those maniacs and so chris and i came up with a with a plan to uh start start the club we s- sat down and drew out a criteria to join and uh and people just they it just kind of snowballed. I think it was five dollars to join, but yeah, it just kind of took on a life of its own. It, you know, I think maybe the first year we had thirty members, and next year a hundred, and now we're, ah, shoot, over fifteen thousand members. That's amazing. What do you offer members, and what is the criteria to get in? We have a blog, a newsletter. They have their own database. They can keep their races. It tallies them up. It'll also tally up what level you are. We have different levels to challenge yourself. You can run three marathons in three months to qualify for the Marathon Maniacs. Once you're in the Maniacs, you can go all the way up to 52 marathons in a year, and there's levels all in between. So you get a, it's a star rating system of what level you want to achieve. Uh, so it goes from bronze level all the way up to titanium. That's amazing. And you have like, yeah. I love the, you call, there's a section on your website. It's called the insane asylum. <laughs> yep. So that's our members, our, our list of members. That's where you go. When you join the maniacs, you get put into the insane asylum. <laughs> you also have a half marathon club called the half fanatics where qualifying requires one to do three half marathons in 90 days. That's more my speed. That's totally or two doable. and 16 days. Yep. Two and 16 days. Sure. Yep. Or there's different ways to get in the club, but that's the two most common ways is two and 16 days or three and three months. And we started that in 2009. So uh, July of this year was 10 years. And the half marathon club, the Fanatics, is they're over 18,000 members now. Wow. Yeah. Yeah, and there's people joining every day. It's it's still that's it's great because it, it offers this community for people to connect with each other. And when you start doing endurance races, people who aren't athletes they think you're crazy. Even if you do one, people think you're crazy, and you're like, "What? I'm just doing a race, like it's a marathon or it's a half Ironman." You know, as so you really have to manage how you talk about <laughs> all of your athleticism yeah. to re- to people that aren't athletes because they don't, they honestly think you're crazy. And then, you know, I talk to someone like you, and you're like, "Oh, that's so nice. You did a marathon." You're like, <laughs> "I've done 291." <laughs> you can relate. It's like a whole other language. 
this sure, endurance yep. sports. We are a tight knit community. Um, the endurance athlete community isn't that big compared to, you know, how many people are out there. I mean, you, my neighbor across the street, he's not a runner. Neither is my other neighbor. You know, nobody's <laughs> the percentage of runners or endurance athletes is, is pretty small. So we're a pretty tight knit community. And when we're, and we're, we're, we're all together, it's, um, it is kind of ho-hum, you know, yeah. yeah, we just ran a marathon, you know, but it's funny because you stand in line with somebody in the store and you're wearing a marathon shirt and they're like, well, how far is that marathon? Is that a 5k? <laughs> you know, they don't have a clue, yeah, you know, no. but <laughs> yeah. yeah, yeah, it is, it is fun. And it's, it's, it's been a lot of fun. I've met so many people like-minded people obviously the like-minded <laughs> crazy, crazy people. people i guess yeah, yeah. <laughs> depends on who you define as crazy <laughs> mm-hmm. yep that's so cool and then so when did you start the tacoma city marathon uh the tacoma city marathon we started in 2006 um i lost my job as a printer as a printer for over 20 years along with my my dad was a printer lifelong printer and he got me a job as an apprentice and I worked my way up and became a journeyman and but uh, the printing industry is a dying art and uh, so I got laid off and I had already had my foot in the door with the marathon maniacs in the in the running industry not that I just had a lot of connections um, through the club and uh, so I partnered up with Paul Morrison he owned Fleet Feet running store and Tacoma didn't have a marathon and I needed a job. And so I thought, uh, let's give it a whirl, you know, and it was touch and go in the beginning. Uh, we got some sponsors. Parker paint was one of our, our title sponsor, but, uh, facing a $20,000 police bill, we were, uh, I was, well, we, Paul and I were both contemplating. We were going to have to take out a second mortgage on our house to, to fund the first year, the Tacoma city marathon. And, but lo and behold, some entries came in, uh, a bunch of them did. And, and we came out in the black our first year. We didn't make a lot of money, but, um, but we had a, a good turnout and we continued the race to this day. So yeah, no, no, we didn't have any backing really. We just, right. uh, we started it with 600 bucks, I think. We got a business license, and I built the website, and Grassroots promoted it through Fleet Feet and the running club as well. But, uh, yeah, that's how we got started. That's awesome. And um, now that, how many people? Yeah. Well, we have uh, we have eight events of our own now. We have a turkey trot and a Santa run and Fourth of July race and, and so on. But, uh, but yeah, we, we started with one race and then – and slowly built our other events as well but i did i did learn all my all the the tools i needed i i i learned how to use them myself i i needed to learn how to build a website and uh, measure race courses and i was already in the printing industry online registrations weren't really a, a thing too much yet people were still doing paper entries so mm-hmm. and i had background in printing but yeah, that's how we got started, and we're still going today. What did you do in printing? I ran a press and a collator. Collator is putting the plies together if you have a multi-ply form. 
which there's not too many of them left out there yeah. today. But uh, yeah, that's what I did. Yeah, it's still going on, but the, the printing is, is definitely dying. So I was a displaced worker and I was on unemployment for a little while. That's cool. And you leaned into running your passion to start a business. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I feel very fortunate to to have been able to do that. And, and it wasn't like you set it, out to do that. It was just like you just wanted to run and you needed a race, so you created it. That's cool. Yeah. <laughs> yep. Yeah, it's it's been it's been a lot of fun. Uh, I work with a lot of other races. I support a lot of races. Yeah, I was going to say, have... you know, in addition to the Marathon Maniacs, the Half Fanatics, and your Ultra Madness, as well as the Tacoma City Marathon, and all of your running events in Tacoma, you also are hired by other cities and race companies to pace their races. Yeah, we do have a pace team. Uh-huh. Um, Marathon Maniacs and Half Fanatics have, uh, will recruit pacers to, to go out and pace. We, we um, just pace the Marine Corps Marathon. Uh, we're pacing just about every weekend throughout the U.S., but uh, Marine Corps was definitely our biggest race that we've, we've paced. And we're adding more to our calendar for sure. Is that part of the group? Like if you are part of the group, you could be a pacer. Is that how it works? Uh, yeah. So, yeah. Yeah. We will take people that aren't in the group too, but we get first dibs is, uh, is people that are already in the club. Yeah. They're cause they're, they're already pretty seasoned runners because they, they've managed to meet the criteria to join the clubs. Yeah. It's, it's been fun. I've paced, I've paced quite a few races, but um, what not races? so much lately. I've paced Chicago Marathon three times and a plethora of other smaller events. But I, being on the Nike pace team at Chicago was pretty pretty fun. I paced the 310 group twice and the 320 group once. But like we, like I said, we are human. Uh, when I paced the 320 in Chicago, it got hot. And there was four of us 320 pacers. And at 18, I had to throw my pace stick down, man. It just wasn't, I, I don't do well in heat. Mm -hmm. And uh, I let my three co-pacers take the pack to the finish line. And, and I fumbled in <laughs> <laughs> with my head hanging low. <laughs> but, well, you so know. Like, pace is pretty important, right? I mean, this is like the whole key to successful marathoning is like being able to pace. Yeah, definitely. Yeah, you got to pay attention. If you can, if you can negative split a marathon, yeah. that's 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 golden. There, um, it's not easy to do unless you you really hold back. But there's a fine line, you know, when you're when you're racing to what is going out too fast and what's going out too slow. When you're trying to break a certain barrier, yeah, um, you can't you can't go too slow. Yes. Um, in the first half, but. Uh, yeah, those those times when you get a negative split, it's pretty sweet. A negative split, Portland, but I was going out pretty conservatively, and I think I ran a three three eighteen, I think. But I started out with the three thirty five pacers, and then moved up to the three thirty pace group. Then I caught up to the three twenty five. So by the time I got to the halfway mark, I was kind of rolling already and already working on the negative split, and and I just picked it up the second half and had a had a good strong finish. Yeah. I mean, I think that like my, like my marriage, my running experience is that I've never run with pacers before, like for any half marathon that I've done ever. And I'm pretty, like, I know my pace for a half marathon. I mean, I think I've done like 20 in my life, um, or 15, 20, somewhere in that area. And 
when it came to the marathon, you know, I was listening to my coach and all of my friends who are coaches and we even spoke before the marathon. And, you know, it was really, I found such a challenging thing to do. Number one, like in retrospect and, you know, obviously, you know, on hindsight, you know, it's 2020. Um, I should have probably run with the Pacers because I felt like, you know, I, I felt like, okay, trying to stick to my pace, which was, I was supposed to do an 11, 15 mile. And then as I felt better, you know, I was trying to, I wasn't trying to do a negative split. I was trying to do, I was trying to break the race into like different segments. So, and that was one of the things that you had shared with me and a few other people had shared like different philosophies, but you had said, you know, maybe break it into a 10, a 10, and then a 6.2 or the race starts at 20 miles. So I was trying not to look at it as 26.2 miles. <laughs> yep. That's, that's a good, that's a good philosophy to go by. For sure. Yeah. And so, but it was really hard. To, I found it very challenging to, pace because I was in a pace group of people that were running like a 10, 30, 10 minute mile. Like it was all mixed. I mean, it was, it was probably like they were going to finish in four or four and a half hours. Like that was like the area that I was in. I don't want to miss say that just because like New York Roadrunners. Um, but yeah, I was in the wrong time because my normal pace that New York Roadrunners has for me is an eight and a half minute mile. That's my fastest mile that I, I'm not for the mile, but that's my fastest half marathon pace so mm -hmm. you know but I was also but you know they don't have like every detail of my life so I'm a little slower you know over the last two years I was also not feeling well but like given those things I was starting at 11 15 but I couldn't keep it like I was going faster I was running like 10 45 10 30 and that was actually fine like I feel like I could have kept going but then at mile 13 I couldn't swallow my water anymore it was like burning in my chest and so I went back to a 13 minute mile for the next half of the marathon. And yep. it was just a like mental disaster. And I just like was trying to finish and not like go into the medical tent because I couldn't breathe. The pacing is just so important. Like I didn't realize it until I was doing it. And that was like my first marathon experience is like probably next time I would be okay to start later and go with my real pace group. So I don't have to focus on the pace. I don't know. What yep. are your thoughts on that? Like yeah. you know, running with the Pacers is, is better than if you're a new marathoner. Yeah. I think, I think starting with, with a slower pace group, at least, you know, your first few marathons, yeah. um, something to where it's, it's easy. And, and I always tell people not to have a lot of high expectations for their first marathon. Right. We all do. We all have that number in our head, yeah. but, um, I, I try to, tell people don't don't put any expectations on yourself just go out and enjoy the experience and learn from the experience um start out slower than you think yeah you want to and and even hooking up with a slower pace group uh it's you can you know running with a pace group it it kind of it's kind of a no-brainer for you you don't have to think about your pace you've got other people around the pacers are usually pretty experienced and they're talking and it keeps your mind off of, off of the miles, the miles go by faster and you might end up chatting with other people in the same pace group. And then, you know, after, after the, you know, 18, 20 miles, if you're feeling strong, that's when you want to pick it up. And, and if you can have that kind of an experience in your first marathon, it's going to, I think uh, you'd be more apt to come back and enjoy it even more 
rather than walking away discouraged. Yeah. But even if you are discouraged, obviously I was discouraged in my first marathon, but I knew I could do better, but I was still proud of what I, what I accomplished. And, yeah. And, and that everybody should be, that's a long way to go. Yeah. It's, it's impressive. Uh, <laughs> it is. It yeah. is. Yeah. But pace pacing, if you're dialed in and you've been running for a while, just say you want to run a three twenty, run an even splits, for a marathon is is hard to do so even if you line up with a 320 pacer and you're going to try to stick with them all the way to the end that's hard so i always say you know start with a pace group maybe a 325 pace group and just hang with them right like and, hang back and then yeah yeah just hang back if, if 320 is your goal and then pick it up that way they're forcing you to to hold back and yeah even more. my friend's father who's done probably I don't know, 100 marathons. That morning, he said, I'm going to run with the pace group at this pace because I don't want to think about it. I just want to enjoy the run and like not worry about my pace. Yep. Which is always good. We all watched the Enos 159 with Kipchoge. Yeah. (laughs) He had had some serious pacers. Serious pacers there, man. You could hardly even see him in the pack because he was just buried back there, you know, drafting. But, uh, that right there is the top of the pace. That's what pacing is all about. Yeah. Kipchoge didn't even have to think about it. You know, just stay on these guys' heels and let them let them do the work. Right, uh, and then you and can focus on what you're good at. Yeah. Yep. Yep. And that is not what it's like being an entrepreneur. <laughs> you got to do everything. <laughs> <laughs> that's true. Yep. <laughs> so it's nice to go out on a run where you're pacing with people and you don't have to think about that. That's right. Yep. What are some other good marathon strategies for the course? Obviously, every course is different, but like some fundamental things that you would like offer to Marnie on the Move listeners that, you know, maybe they've done a couple marathons. Maybe they want to, you know, maybe they want to join the Marathon Maniacs. Maybe they, they love it so much and they're just trying to master the strategy. Well, I think, you know, there's fuel is, is one of the things you want to, you want to make sure that the, the gels you're using work for your your stomach. I like I like a thinner type of gel, like a power gel. It's almost a watery consistency. Goose, a little too heavy for me. I, I can I can manage about any goo or gel, but I feel better when I use the right ones that work for me. And I I get lazy sometimes, and I'll use what's on the course, mm-hmm. and, and and it works for me. But it just feels like a I got a gut bomb in my stomach if it's goo or something that's I'm not used to but uh yeah finding the gels that you can use and and then you got to think about how you're going to carry your gels right um <clears throat> I use a little uh spy belt expandable waist belt I usually pack my goos in um some people will you know they're everybody's got their phones and they don't want to gear check them so sometimes they'll they'll put their their phone in their in their spy belt or wherever stuff it in there some some of the tricks that i've learned about carrying goo is even on a, a warmer day i'll wear my arm warmers and because uh, you can roll them down but you can also stuff your goo under your arm warmers in your wrist area so oh, that's so you a good get, idea yeah you can put two or three goos in there and then you can have your arm warmers up at the beginning of the race and then roll them down but you've still got that that spot to to keep your your gels and also obviously your gloves you can wear you can put your gels in the top of your gloves that's a good idea i never thought about that 
Yep. So I see people, you know, sometimes I'll have them while you see full goo packs all over the course. Yeah. (laughs) I, you know, people dropping them and things like that. So I try to keep my goos and my gels. I use cliff bar gels. I try to put them back in the water bottle. It's also like I only take the amount I need. And then of course I have like a backup amount in a different location because I forget how many I've had by the end of the race. That was what I got from triathlon is like my coaches always said, take more than you need in a different place because you, you get out there and your brain pieces out. You're like, did I eat the gel or not eat the gel? Like you don't know. <laughs> so yeah, I don't know that yeah. happens. So yeah, that's a good yep. idea. Yeah. I, I usually, you know, if I've got a, if I'm using my spy belt, I'll have a couple in there. And uh, if I have my phone or my ID in there, I'll probably earlier in the race, we'll try to take those out so I can seal up my valuables and I don't have to worry about those anymore. And then I'll start working from the goose from my arm warmers or my gloves or some of my shorts have a zippered pocket in it too. And I'll, I'll use those too, but basically you're stashing them all over your body. <laughs> yeah. I've even had a, I've even had a hat that had a zipper in it, which was pretty clever. I wore it out, but I would keep some goose up in my hat. It was yeah. kind of interesting. That is an interesting it, philosophy. You got to put them wherever you can. I mean, I'm always cold. So the opposite of you. So it was 50 degrees and I was wearing long pants. I make sure I have pockets in everything I wear as much as I can. So I stuff them with things. So I'm like a camel, basically. Yep. <laughs> I'm like 5'1", 104 pounds running the marathon with 30 pounds of food. <laughs> if you want to get the visual, I could feed the whole uh, race. I'm not in the middle of a desert. There's so many race tables with gels but again like back to what you said you know you need to use the fuel that works for you and i don't know i have yeah you have to be careful for sure i see a lot of people you know carrying you know hydration packs and things like that and i in a marathon i mean you've got water every two miles typically so unless there's not water stations every two miles i i don't think you need to and that's that's exerted energy carrying that water bottle or that hydration pack that you you don't shouldn't need what's the philosophy there because like then you have to stop well you don't stop you're not supposed to stop you're supposed to grab the water drink it and keep running yeah well you know even in my pr race i walked through several of the later water stops just so i could get a good drink of water i walked through actually a lot of water stops but it you only take like maybe 10 steps and then you get right back up to speed. But, but the typical thing that I, I see at the Boston marathon, yeah, they're, they're all, you you would think seasoned runners, marathoners, Mm -hmm. but, um, but when you're going through a water stop, one of the things that I see a lot is people diving in front of you and grabbing the water and then cutting in front of other people and going in the middle of the street and drinking their water what you should do is come up to a, a table um, and slowly fall into a single file line. And, and so everybody around you is, all, is now running in a single file going by the water stop. And you grab your cup and you, you pinch the top and wait till you're clear of everybody else. And then you drink your water and toss it. But I, but I see that a lot in, in big races. People are diving in and out, but you don't need to drink the water right when you get it. You can carry it 30 feet and then, yeah. and then drink it. 
and walking through the water stop it gives you it gives you a, a short break gives your your get your heart rate back down and i don't know i i'm a big proponent of walking through water stops i think it's good i carry a handheld water bottle because i don't like to stop but i don't like to stop when i'm doing triathlon right because i just mm-hmm. want to be done and i just, it's never i haven't done uh, an ironman but i you know done the half and i don't like stopping for whatever reason i like to keep going and stopping less so you know I stop and I fill it up when I run out of water but I mean this race was totally different I stopped a lot because I couldn't breathe but I think that I also now am thinking rethinking the water bottle holding strategy because I totally pulled my arm from holding a water I mean I'm not from the race but like through cumulative training over the three months I feel like I'm carrying a water bottle all the time when I'm running yep but that's like just yeah. something I thought about. It's something I might do, try to do differently. Yep. I used to carry a water bottle in marathons too. I trained all the time with a water bottle. Because, I mean, you're outside running. Like there's not – it's not a catered race when you're out training on the course, right? Yep, for sure. Yeah, so whatever works for you. If you're used to carrying a water bottle or a hydration pack, that's great. But you just got to remember during a race, as long as they don't have something weird like Gatorade doesn't work for you or noon doesn't yeah. work for you. If, if what they've got on the course will work for you, if you can train using what they're going to use on the race day, then I say, you know, trust the race. They're going to have water stops out there for you. Does um, noon, I haven't seen noon on the race course. Like I see a lot of Gatorade, but I do a lot of the, like I've done a lot of the bigger races. I don't know. Do you guys work with noon hydration? That's who, like that's who yeah, I yeah, use. We use yeah. it. We use it a lot, yeah. Do and they I, ever I set up tables it. at your races, though, and hand out water? No, they don't come out and volunteer, per se, but but our aid stations at Tacoma City Marathon, we use noon. Yeah, um, their stuff it, is yeah. great. It is, yeah, yeah. I uh, love it, and I think it's it's actually a local company out here in Seattle. Oh, they got right. They started up here. Do you take salt tablets during your races? No, no, I don't. Because we're yeah, talking about I, nutrition I, and, hi- and hydration, so... I, I personally don't. I have. I did used to take salt uh, tablets of some sort. I don't recall what they are, but no, I don't. I don't. I don't take it anymore. I don't have much of a problem cramping. Yeah. Because you're also like not doing super hot races. Yeah, but like when I do, basically the Ironman or Kauai, those are the super hot races. Yeah. But uh, I will just take more noon or Gatorade, whatever they've got on the course. Yeah. Um, yeah. I usually rotate. Uh, I'll take water, one water stop, uh, an electrolyte, the next water stop. And I take, when I do take a gel, I do it about every six miles or mm-hmm. every 45 minutes or yes. so. Yeah. And I'll, I'll plan that out to where I'm taking water with my goo or gel. And depending on how I feel, take water the next one or, or the electrolyte. Speaking of nutrition, you do at least five marathons a year. How do you fuel for these races on a daily basis? And what's your overall diet like year round? Well, it is, uh, I, you know, I go out and have a burger and a beer like everybody else, I think. But, yeah. uh, but uh, I eat a lot of fish and uh, I juice a lot. Um, so I just, I just try to make smart choices and when it gets closer to race day, obviously I start to focus more on carbs. I'll eat baked potatoes and things like that as, as the race gets closer. 
Right. Even race morning, I've done a baked potato. It's easy to digest, baked potato and a banana. I'm trying to rethink my race morning food. So that's a good idea, actually. A sweet potato. Yeah. Yeah, or a baked potato. And I'll maybe do a little yogurt. But uh, walking to the start line, I will usually have a chunk of bagel that I haven't finished yet. And I'll eat it all the way up to about 15 minutes before the start of the race. That's my worst fear is, is getting to a start line hungry. Yeah. That's one thing you do not want to do. And so I know people get up two, three hours early to eat their meals Mm -hmm. and then they're done and then they get to the start line and they're hungry. So I just kind of graze all the way up until until the start of the race, about 15 minutes before. Typically, I have something and I definitely take a gel before I even start the race as well. That's smart. Um, I usually start. I'll have a gel when I start. But food, I have to mm-hmm. shut down two hours before. <laughs> Otherwise, yeah. my stomach is a disaster. Yeah. For me, it's, it's as long as I can eat something soft that's easy to digest, I can eat pretty much up to the start without getting the, the side ache effect and, or nausea. Yeah. Run. Yeah. I actually, but, my, my nutrition was good. I'm, I think I'm like solid on that. So that was a positive. I, I know a lot of people bonk. And they have like they hit the wall and it's a lot of it has to do with nutrition. Like we said, you know, you're doing five, six marathons, five marathons a year. So how do you train for that? Well, yeah, it depends on what I'm doing, but I, I, I don't race a lot in the summer. So in the spring and the fall, I'm usually just staying in marathon shape. Uh, so, so I ran Portland marathon in October, early October and I, you know, rested but then I just started ramping my mileage back up about two, three weeks after the marathon. Mm-hmm. Uh, I just came off uh, three 70-mile weeks <clears throat> last week. And so this week is actually my first week of a two-week taper um, for a Route 66 marathon. And it's a week from this coming Sunday. Um, so I've, I've cut my mileage down to well, – I'm at – 20 miles this week I'll probably be I'll probably be at 35 or 40 by the end of the week and then probably the same with the race next week but yeah I mean when it depends on what I'm running you know I've run I won't hesitate to run two marathons in two weeks Mm -hmm. so then it's just about you know active recovery in between marathons Um, right getting on the bike you know getting in the pool just moving your legs without uh, exerting them, basically. Yeah. Just moving them. Yeah. yeah, for sure. And and that's that's one of the mistakes a lot of people make after a marathon. They just quit running. Huh. Don't yeah. do anything. They just, you know, <laughs> rigor mortis sets in and they're sitting on the couch and they can barely walk for a week. But if you get up and the next day and go for a nice long walk, you know, 30, yeah. 30 minutes, an hour, or get on the bike and spin, you'll you'll feel so much better. Yeah, I've been doing a mix of that. But I I think, you know, I'm lucky because I have the bike. But I mean, and also I haven't gotten in the pool, but that's like probably tonight I'll head head to the pool and start up again training. But like, you know, it just seems like I guess it's all about consistency, right? Like you're saying active recovery. So it's like, you know, you, you know, you finish a marathon, you do the taper for a week or two, and then you start building back up to your next one. Yep. That's that's, you know, one great way to to increase your endurance, too, is to not just quit and then and start all over, but you're you're building, you know, you're building on your endurance by doing that. Definitely 
active recovery and uh, and continue the journey on your long distance endeavors. What's your longest uh, race that you? What's your longest distance that you will run when training for a marathon? Do you have? Um, this time I only ran. Uh, I did a 17 miler. Was all I did during the last three weeks. So I'm just I'm just going off of high higher mileage for mm-hmm. me. 70. I, I think I ran 77 miles last week. So I feel really strong and rested and, and working through the last 10k of the race shouldn't be a problem for me um, without doing a a 20 miler. I don't particularly like doing 20 plus mile training mm-hmm. runs. <laughs> I don't think anybody really loves doing them. So, right. so I usually just stick between, I will usually just run higher mileage and between 16 and 18 miles is my, is my long run. Right. Um, but I, but I will, but I will sign up for like a 50 K, you know, occasionally and just work that into my training as well. Cause you're out there with people and 50 yeah. Ks are, you know, slower paced and, you know, uh, not, not too hard on your body. And so that's great training too, for a marathon. It makes a marathon seem shorter. Right. Well, sure. when, when you're out there for five hours or whatever, and then you go run a marathon in three and a half hours, you know, yeah. it's like, Oh, that's a short day. <laughs> right. Well, I feel like now a half marathon is like so easy <laughs> comparatively. Like now, yeah, you know, exactly. going out and doing 13 miles is like a short run. Uh huh. That's, and yep. that definitely happened from my marathon training. So, I mean, I, I definitely think it's all perspective, right? Mm-hmm. That's super helpful. I mean, I definitely, I got up to a 50 mile week and that was the longest amount of my, that was the biggest amount of mileage in a week that I've ever done actually. Mm-hmm. Did your coach have you doing a three week taper or a two week or? I did a two week taper. Uh huh. So she asked me if I wanted to do, t- I don't really, I did, I did a two week taper. So the last, like the run before the marathon, I did. Like the marathon was Sunday, November 3rd, and the weekend before that, I actually ran 10 miles. And she was she was going to have me do 14, but mm-hmm. I just felt like doing 10. It was, it was just like yep. she said, like, do whatever you want. You know, like it wasn't like set, but that was like just according to the training. But I didn't yep. – uh, yeah, I did a two-week taper, and I ran 22. I'm a fan of the two-week taper. As opposed to the – what about a one-week taper? Well, a one-week taper, that's, that's a little short. But yeah. Yeah, I mean, I would stick with a two-week taper. Yeah. Or a lot of times, I guess, I'll, I, I run with the guys on Wednesday, and I'll do a Wednesday. We do a hard run, hill run, and sometimes I'll do that. Uh, so a week and a half taper, basically, where then I'll just really start to chill out and do short stuff and take some rest days and, and things like that. But, so do you uh, run every day, pretty much? Pretty much, but with, when I taper, I do take days off. I took several days off this week. And I'll usually swim or spin or something in place of running. Yeah, and, and just try to get some some more rest, sleep in if I can. Yeah, sleep um, is so important, yeah. right? Like how important is sleep for you? Yeah, yeah, it, it is. It's really important. Uh, I try to get eight hours a day. Um, sometimes I get 10, but yeah, it's good. I think, you know, when I when I am running higher mileage like that, I don't sleep that well, and 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 that's a sign of overtraining okay. a bit. But it but it but you are spending a lot of time out there running, and when you do put in your your when you start to taper, you can really get a lot of catch up on your sleep because you've got that extra time too that you were out there logging miles. Um, so in my two week taper, I'm usually sleeping like a log. 
I've been just out <laughs> lately. And do, when you did 42 in one year, so what did you yep. do then? Did you just do them all in a row? Like, was how did you do that? Uh, they were all over there about every week, you know. I had had a stress fracture earlier in the year, so I actually took, a, I think, a good six, eight weeks off of no marathoning. Um, but, yeah, I was just having fun traveling with friends and, and running around and challenging ourselves. And, uh, uh, yeah, it was all about active recovery. If there was a Puget Sound close by or a cold lake, I'd go stand in it right after the race and get ready for my next race. <laughs> it was pretty fun. <laughs> That's awesome. And so, obviously, you know, marathoning can be a metaphor for life. Or do you think life is a metaphor for marathoning or both? Well, I like to think it's a lifestyle. Mm -hmm. um, you know, it's it's part of my life. I don't know how how long I'll be marathoning. I hope my whole life, but you never know. I think it's uh, I I I think it's it's good to have those goals constantly in your life. It keeps keep that carrot out there to keep you going. And it doesn't have to be a marathon, but, but I do like the marathon. Um, and if I haven't raced in a while, a marathon, I get nervous. Even after 200 and some marathons, I get a little nervous at the start line because 26 miles is a long way. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Yeah, it is. Does running and marathoning influence your career and fuel you for success? Obviously, you work in the sport of running, but, you know, metaphorically speaking, I think, yeah, I think runners in general, they're, are a driven breed and, uh, I think it transfers over to, to your everyday life, what you do. I see that all the time. I mean, most runners, they're happy people, they're successful and there's all ranges of success. If you're, if, if you're happy with your job and, and running is just a, a good compliment for life in general, I don't feel right unless I go out and and do something in the morning the day just doesn't seem seem right to me but uh i think it's good it's it's gives you time to think uh you're out there in the fresh air and but i think it transfers over to just life in general relationships business are there any it's big lessons stuff. that you've taken from running that have helped you succeed in your career uh not to give up i guess and be persistent if you've got a dream or a goal it, it can be obtained if you work hard enough and i think that that's the same with running and in your personal life i think they go hand in hand we talked a little bit about recovery yep. your daughter jessica introduced us she has a super cool company she's also an athlete but she is yep. the co-founder of Mad Ritual and makes a CBD balm that I'm addicted to as well as the supplements for sleep and recovery. Have you been using this product all along in your recovery process? Yeah, ever since um, CBD came on the market, I started dabbling with it. And, and then Jessica started the Mad Ritual. So the CBD balm is, is good stuff. I... I use it almost daily. It yeah. could be for a stiff neck. It could be for a headache. Rub it into my temples. I really like the uh, CBD capsules. 
I haven't tried the melatonin in CBD, but the uh, the uh, other CBD capsules helps with inflammation, and uh, I sleep really well on yeah. them as well. I can take them during the day. Some people say they get sleepy when they take them during the day, but uh, it doesn't seem to affect me that way, but I sure sleep well. CBD is really up and coming. You know, I think uh, Mad Ritual's on the right track. They're they're doing some really good stuff. Yeah. You know, athletes are the type of people, like if they hear that one athlete is doing something, like they're going to do it because they want to recover and they want to perform better. You know, wh- whether it's nutrition yeah. or it's sneakers, which I have to ask you, since you've run so much, what kind of sneakers you wear? Well, I've run, actually I had a, a memory pop up yesterday on my Facebook. I used to run in bite sandals. I was sponsored by a sandals company, and uh, and that's actually what I ran my PR in. <laughs> it was sandals? In sandals. Oh my god! Yeah, yeah, I ran a two fifty three in sandals. But uh, I generally wear Brooks shoes, uh, okay. the Ghost. Oh, me too. And, uh, that's so funny. Yeah, 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 yeah. I love that shoe, and I've <clears throat> I number all my shoes, and I'm up to I think pair thirty six and thirty seven right now of those um, of brooks ghosts of the of the ghosts yeah. yeah so i've been running in those for a while but i did just buy some hoka cliftons i thought i'd give them a try and i really like those as well and i bought i'm gonna run my next race in the hoka carbon x okay their answer to the nike four percenters um so i'm gonna try those out yeah someone said i should try 66. them as well it's not good to try new new sneakers on race day <laughs> Oh, <laughs> I have done some training runs in the Carbon X's, so I think they're going to work out fine. But, yeah, uh, yeah. I did. I did wear the Hoka's Clifton's in Portland, my last marathon, and um, uh, they worked out. They worked out fine. But other than that, I I I run in ghosts yeah. all the time. I've tried. Do you switch out? I mean, do you switch them out too? Like, do you have multiple pairs that you? Um, yeah, I rotate wearing, them every day. Yeah, you have different yeah, yeah. pairs because you can. How much? How much mileage do you tend to put on your shoes? Three to five hundred miles per pair. I guess. Yeah, per pair. Yeah, we. I just that was, that was what I was talking to Jenna about. So I know I, a guy, a buddy of mine. He would get a thousand miles on a pair of shoes. I was like, "Are you kidding me?" But he was such an efficient runner. Yeah. Uh, low to the ground, really light guy. But I'll start to feel it in my shins and my knees when I when my shoes are wearing out. Like do you have that? That's like your injury. That's like your thing that pops up when you are. Well, I do, yeah. yeah, I just start feeling a little achy. It, not an injury, but yeah. I'm just like, yeah, it's time for shoes. And then I'll get some new shoes, and a couple of weeks later, the aches and pains are gone. Interesting. <laughs> I have to pay attention to that because I have I have some plantar fasciitis. <laughs> that you know, I think it was just like too much mileage at too quickly, but it'll go away eventually. Yeah, I got a touch of plantar a couple of weeks ago actually, and I and I rarely ever get it, but yeah. Uh, but I use super feet inserts. You um, do. Okay. Yeah. And, and what caused my planter was wearing, um, just my van kicking around shoes with no arch support at all, mm-hmm. you know, their fashion shoe. And I, and I knew I should, I spent too much time in them yeah. and my, my <clears throat> left foot started to hurt. And so what I did was, uh, I just started wearing my, um, well, they do super feet does make a, an, a dress shoe insert. And so I immediately started putting that in my vans when I was kicking around. And then I wear my, uh, 
Ofos. I love Ofos, the flip-flops. I live in them. Yep. I wear those in the house. And so keep that arch arch supported and I've nipped it in the bud. Of course, I was rubbing Mad Ritual. Yeah. So um, I basically, I use the Mad Ritual on the plantar fasciitis, on my leg, on my calf, like everything. I mean, it's really great. mm -hmm. I mean, I don't have to convince you. So, um, (laughs) yeah. yeah, Mad Ritual, it's good stuff. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But uh, if you catch catch your planter soon enough and you can nip it in the bud uh, if if you hang in there. And I've heard of people which I don't do, but even sleeping in your running shoe with your super feet or arch support in it, just keep that arch supported and, uh, and lots of self massage. That's a good idea. I sleep with the plantar fasciitis socks, (laughs) Mm. (laughs) those ugly socks I put on my feet, but I don't even think they're working to be honest, but, but yeah. And also like just strengthening, like doing strength training. I mean, I'm sure you do a ton of strength training if you're running as much as you are. It's so important. And it's like, especially as you get older. Yep, for sure. Jump rope is my go-to. I jump rope all the time. Really? Yeah, it's helped my calves. And uh, yeah, it's just good explosive exercise. um, Easy to do. Well, that's awesome. (laughs) (laughs) And lift too. um, But uh, jump ropes is is a great cross-training. So now, so your next race is in two weeks, you said, right? Yeah, a week from Sunday, Route 66. That's a cool, where's, that's such a cool race. Where does it start? Yeah, it's in Tulsa. Okay. Yeah, it's, it's a great race. They roll out the red carpet for the Marathon Maniacs and Half Fanatics. We got a VIP area, you know, our private gear check and honey buckets and uh, catered lunch at the finish line with beer and sandwiches and our own vip area at the finish line it's pretty cool so that is cool i was going to ask you like i mean I, I was on your website looking through all the different things that you offer if you're part of the club i mean it sounds like you probably have like nutritionists and coaching and group meetups and all that stuff yeah yeah it's we've got a lot lot to offer race discounts and then the vip areas in our club exclusive races um that's it's a fun club for sure. People are out there wearing the gear and high fiving each other because they've all been down the same road. They've qualified for the clubs. It's pretty cool. That's I mean that's so much fun. I definitely have to. I definitely want to do the marathon. The um the half fanatics. I like to be part of nice. these kinds of things, like these clubs and communities, because it, I just geek out on stuff like that. Like just connecting with other people that are in that world, and you know, especially like even with the Ironman races and triathlon like I'm in Mm -hmm. you know I have a lot of friends that like that's all we talk about is like races and training and (laughs) you know it's just a whole other world that I love it is one of the funnest things that that happens during a race when I'm running with another maniac is we start talking about our next race while we while we're running the race (laughs) I was gonna say okay I'll see you there (laughs) so do you set the same kind of goals with your business I mean and benchmarks, like as far as like the way you do with marathoning and the races that you do? Oh, sure. I mean, we want more participants to come to our race, but uh, yeah, we have, we have goals, benchmarks, and we try to meet them. And yeah, for sure. What's, what do you think is next? Like what's the next big goal for you? I mean, and you have the Tacoma City Marathon, Marathon Maniacs, Half Fanatics, Ultra Madness, you're also your race pacing. I mean, what would you, what would you do next? Well, 
I've always got some iron in the fire, but uh, I'm actually dabbling with um, building a uh, a mobile app for the clubs. Mm-hmm. Um, so I think that's probably the next thing I'm gonna gonna tackle. Um, get on, get on mobile. That's pretty to tap cool. Into, tap into the younger generation uh, a little bit more. So do you go out to uh, to other to races that are like? I feel like there's like a whole subculture in the running community now that's like, it's like almost like, um, it's like the seventies, like what the seventies was like when it was like super hippie culture. And now it's like this like sort of like rebel sort of underground culture of like younger runners who are doing like ultras and marathons. Mm -hmm. Like, I don't even know where they are, but I I feel like it's, it's percolating. (laughs) It is. Yeah. Yeah. Especially in the ultra community. Yeah. Um, they're they're a unique bunch, kind of off the grid type of a. <laughs> yeah, yeah, off the grid. I like that. They're off yeah. the grid. Yep. Well, but I think uh, you know the the future is obviously here. Everybody's on their phones, and we're gonna try to uh, try to try to make things more user friendly by phone. Um, but uh, yeah. Well, I'll have yeah. to come we'll do the see. Tacoma City Marathon. I mean, I feel like you know we almost went to. Um, we almost went to Kerdelen to do the 70.3 Ironman mm-hmm. and I got stuck in New York for work. And I think I've talked to about 10 people from Seattle in the last like five months. And so I just, I don't know. I just feel like there's something calling me in that general direction. So maybe that would be a goal to get out there. <laughs> yeah. Tacoma city marathon, May 3rd. We'd May love 3rd. to have you come out. Yeah. That would be fun. Yep. Yeah, it's right on the Puget Sound. Uh, it's beautiful out here. What's yeah, the course come, like? Come see us. Is it flat? Is it hilly? Just kidding. It's not flat. Uh, <laughs> it's rolly and flat. So, yeah, the first seven or eight miles are kind of rolly. Um, you climb away from the Puget Sound, then you circle back, come back down to the Puget Sound, and then the, the marathon has a pretty flat and fast second half. So... Oh, that's good. So it forces you to kind of warm up in the beginning and like, you know, do the slower pace and then you can pick up the pace if you're still alive after the hills. That's right. (laughs) I love it. (laughs) That's Uh, my, this has been awesome, Tony. Thank you. I hope I like, I know I asked you a million questions. I'm sure I have a million more, but, but I'm excited to meet you at some point if you're up in New York or if I come for the, I'm going to do another marathon before. In New Jersey, I'm going to do the New Jersey Marathon. So Nice. Well, we'll have to connect again and yeah, catch up. For sure. For sure. I want to hear about yeah. your app. I'm totally doing the marathon, the half marathon. So that I, I'm the doing... Half fanatics? Yeah, I'm going to do it. I'm going to do it in the spring. So I can do like... Um, if I get into New York City, that'll be the first one. And then I'll probably do DC. So that's like two... like two weeks apart and it's all part of my training uh-huh. for the April 28th marathon. But now perfect. If I do the three races in, um, no, it's not three races for the half. What is the qualification? Three half marathons in three months. Yeah. I could do three yeah. half marathons in three months. Sure. And it's great training for a marathon. You just incorporate it into your training. Oh, um, yeah, you, I, that's what I would do. I would totally do that. And then I can, uh, yep. I can hop into the program. Do I have to do it all the time or that's just like the first entry? That's it. Once you're in, you're in for good. All right, cool. 
Um, <laughs> you can do it. Me. Yeah, I'm going to do it this, this spring for sure. Um, this was been awesome. Thank you so much for your time. Yeah, this has well, been really great. Me, Marnie. Thank you. Yeah, I appreciate it. To be yeah. continued. All right. Marathon continued. Maniacs. Awesome. Right on. Thanks, Take Tony. Care. You too. Bye. Thanks again for tuning in to Marnie on the Move. If you like what you hear, leave us a five-star review in Apple Podcasts. Follow us on social at Marnie on the Move for Facebook and Instagram and Marnie Salop on Twitter. Head over to our website, MarnieOnTheMove.com for more info on this episode, links in the show notes, and of course, sign up for our quarterly newsletter, The Download, to get updates, deals, giveaways, and information on future events for 2019. I want to hear from you. Email me, MarnieOnTheMove1 at gmail.com and let me know what you're enjoying, what you want to hear more of, If you have questions for our guests, just reach out.